This morning's reading is taken from the book of Genesis, chapters 21 and 22. Genesis chapter 21, starting at verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And we continue the reading now over the page in chapter 22, starting at verse 1. Sometime later... God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham! Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. 
Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. This is the word of God. Um, Thank you for uh, giving us that uh, extraordinary reading. And um, if you've not met, my name is Matt Full. It'd be lovely to do so uh, at some point. If you're joining us, <clears throat> we're working way through just this story of Abraham, chapters 12 to 25 in uh, in the book of Genesis, uh, the account of his uh, life as um, one sort of section uh, in this book. Uh, in one sense, the climax today. Although we have our final little look at Abraham next week, but let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Father, this is, in many ways, an extraordinary story for us to read, and we wonder what on earth you were doing, and we wonder what on earth Abraham thought he was doing. But thank you that your word is clear, it explains what's going on, and thank you that you've recorded this in such a vivid way to help us trust you. So Father, as we look at this now, would we trust you? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I do think, actually, in all honesty, that this is, well, certainly I find it, one of the most difficult passages in the whole of the Bible. God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son, I think, is extraordinary. Worth asking, perhaps, what other people make of it. Uh, You may or may not know, uh, in Judaism and Islam, this is a story of uh, heroic faith. So uh, um, 2 Chronicles 3 will tell you that the temple that Solomon built, so Temple Mount, still in Jerusalem, uh, was on Mount Moriah. So this place where Abraham went uh, with Isaac, that is where the temple is built. Uh, Therefore, that is where in Islam the Dome of the Rock is. You know, the sort of features in any picture of Jerusalem, Temple Mount and Dome of the Rock on top. Because it's the third most holy site in Islam because of this story. Uh, Abraham's sort of heroic uh, faith. It's interesting. Uh, Richard Dawkins has a slightly different take on it. Um, he refers to this as disgraceful child abuse and bullying. Let me suggest, even as we begin, if you take this purely as an example to follow, you are in trouble. I hope that's, in one sense, 
obvious. If I say to you, do you know what? God spoke to me the other day and said I should sacrifice my son. Please lock me up. Please put me in a straitjacket and take me away. That will be a disaster. And so when we come to this story, we have to expect or, or realize Abraham is a unique character. He is a patriarch. He's a prophet. Eight times the Lord speaks audibly to Abraham and others can hear. You know, that is not normal. And in Bible history, he's not normal. He's a, a, a highly significant character and unique in, in the pages of Scripture. Alongside that, uh, Christians have always recognized that in Isaac, carrying the wood up the hill in obedience to his father, there is a picture of Jesus Christ carrying a wooden cross to his place of sacrifice. This is meant as backdrop, it, it informs us in some sense. Here is a picture that God gives us, Abraham echoing in some sense, God the Father, willing to sacrifice his only son for our great good. But even with that in mind, it's a deeply unsettling story, I think. Partly because of what's asked, partly because of Abraham's obedience. It's pretty radical expression of obedience. And it is, I would suggest to you, the, the climax, really, of the Abraham narrative. Uh, there's more to come next week. And uh, crucially, uh, Abraham sorts out a, uh, a bride uh, for Isaac. But uh, in one sense, that's the sort of epilogue. You know, the climax of the movie comes, and then you go and see them all happily ever after. Here is, here is the sort of dramatic climax where the bullets are flying, uh, as it were. Uh, and here's, because it works a little bit like bookends. In chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, chapter 12, verse 1 of Genesis, the Lord had said to Abraham, go up uh, to the land I'll show you. And here in chapter 22, verse 1, it's go up. So verse 2, rather, go up to the mountain I'll show you. We may not notice that, but it's the only two times you get that particular construction in the Hebrew. So the author, if you can read Hebrew, is saying beginning, end of uh, what's really you need to know about Abraham. Chapter 12, then Abraham was told, leave your family, leave your father and follow me. Uh, and here in chapter 22, he's told, leave your son to follow me. Although, of course, it doesn't work that way. Let's look at through it like this. I think uh, there's a bewildering test, verses 1 and 2. There's exemplary faith, 3 to 10. Astonishing blessing, 11 to 19. It sounds so simple. I don't think it is, but let's have a go. Okay? Verses 1 and 2. There's a bewildering test for Abraham. Chapter 22, verse 1. Some time later. Now, if you've been with us <clears throat> as we've worked our way through the, the narrative of Abraham, this is... Some time later, uh, age 75, Abraham had been told, you'll have a son. He has to wait 25 years for the son. Finally, the son is born, Isaac. And this, that's all we had in chapter 21. And here, some time later, he's clearly strong enough, Isaac, to carry a load of wood. What do we think of this? Let's say he's 16. Okay. Let's call him 16 years old. We're not told. But something like that. Now, straight off, we're told something that Abraham isn't. Verse, 20, uh, verse 1. God tested Abraham. Now, God doesn't say, hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you a test and let's see how you get on. He doesn't say that. He says, go, take. We're told it's a test. A test for Abraham's 
good. The Lord is not going to let this test get out of control. Obviously, God doesn't require the sacrifice of Isaac. No need for that. But in some sense, it's a test for Abraham's good. It doesn't quite come out in in the translation, but verse 2, it is literally, then God said, please take your son, your only son whom I love. That's a common enough Hebrew word, please. Only twice in the whole of the Old Testament does God use the word please. He normally just issues commands, and fair enough, he is God, I guess. Uh, He is the Lord of all. He just says, do this, do that, do that. Twice he says, please do this. Uh, The other occasion is uh, when uh, Moses asked to lead his people out of Egypt. So there's some sense in which God knows when he's making an extraordinary request, a big ask, what is a big ask? A big ask. He uses the word please. So there's some acknowledgement here. This is not a normal, Abraham, I've got something for you to do for me today, okay. It's not a normal request, Abraham. Please take your son. It's a big deal. And of course, this is a big deal. Let me say the obvious things. This, at the moral level, this is extraordinary. Go and kill your son. What God has already said very clearly in the Old Testament, murder is an abhorrent crime. Genesis 9, verse 6. 9, verse 6. If you, if you murder another, well, that... Yeah. You, you give up your own right to life. Murder is never, 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 never acceptable, he says. So just on the moral level, this is a peculiar thing to ask. At the personal level, your son. Oh, let's really rub it in, chapter 22, verse 2. Take your son, your only son. That's extraordinary. And then at the divine level, God has promised for years, for let's say 40 years to Abraham, you're going to have a son, and through this son, all the, all the descendants are going to flow. You're going to be a great nation. You're going to have this son, Isaac, from him, the whole of the Bible history is going to run. So you think, well, hold on, Lord, you've promised that through this child, all the descendants are going to come, and now you're saying kill him. So just at all those levels, it's wrong. It's just wrong at every level, okay? Morally, personally, promise, biblical promise level. It's just wrong. And yet, he's asked to do it. Even for us as readers, if you have been here over the last few weeks, from chapter 12 through to uh, chapter 22, we are waiting for Abraham to have a son. We wait 10 chapters. It's like quite a long time if you're reading it. When's he actually going to have his son? And you're sort of flicking through. When's it going to happen? In his life, it's 25 years. Just for a moment, on the human level, age 75, your wife is 65, Abraham is told, you're going to have a child. And he has to wait 25 years. A hundred. That's a long time of agony, of waiting. And a number here would know those times each month where nothing happens, and you think, oh, 25 years. But then they have Isaac. 
wow, at last, thank goodness. And in chapter 21, Isaac is born, and Abraham raises him and feeds him and watches him sleep and teaches him to play whatever sports they play and teaches him how to do useful skills around the house and played with him and loved him and now sacrifice him. Look, even for us as readers, we wait 10 chapters for Isaac. We think, oh, thank goodness. Next chapter, kill him. What? What is that? And so sometimes you have to acknowledge, and here I think the Bible is acknowledging pretty readily, the perplexity of God. He does things in ways that we would say, why would you do that? As Isaiah would put it, Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are not your ways. You're too right when it comes to something like this. You're absolutely right. Abraham presumably thought leaving his family and all he'd known age 75. 75 is not the time that many people go, yeah, I'll, um, I'll move continents and uh, take my family and start all over again. Not many people do that. He probably thought age 75 was the hardest. And now age 100, can you sacrifice your son, your only son. And so as many would know, there are times in life when you cry out, Lord, why are you doing this? I can't take any more. Lord, not on top of what's already happened. No more. I can't take any more. And he says, I know what I'm doing. Trust me, follow me. And if we're feeling particularly acute right now, maybe we need to hear his, please. But let's not kid ourselves. Sometimes this is painful. I mean, we've read the story, we know how it ends. So, but if you're there, if you're in it, a little while ago, a sort of bizarre echo in one sense of this. Uh, a friend, I was just popping to see a friend, uh, his four-year-old son had a urinary tract infection and it was, wasn't very good. Uh, there's, there's passing blood and vomiting, all thoroughly unpleasant. Anyway, given antibiotics and a four-year-old's antibiotics into the mouth. Mmm. Uh, every child loves medicine and uh, these were not going down so well. And um, so we're there and this son is just going crazy, crazy. No, 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 no. And of course, you know, parents, oh, you've got to take this. It's going to, you know, causes you more pain if you don't take the drug. No, I'm not taking. No, 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 no. Uh, at which point, there's this horrible scene, and I don't know about the wisdom of this, but this horrible scene where the dad sat on his son, pinned his arms, put his finger in his mouth, and said, quick squirt in the medicine. Squirt in the medicine, but fingers in the mouth, so he can't sort of cough it back up. You know, his finger comes out with bite marks all over it. I'm deeply distressed. The child is hysterical. The dad's in tears. The whole room is thinking, what is this? What is this? It's miserable. Not going around there again. The, um, <laughs> it's miserable. And yet, of course, for the child, it was distressing. And yet the dad was doing what was best. Why not? I've got it completely right in that circumstance, but humans are humans. God is a father who 
we're there deeply distressed. Why would you do this? He says, there's purpose. I'm helping. And you have to trust me. And we say, no, daddy, no, daddy, no, daddy. And he says, no, it's got to be this way. Sometimes we can't understand the Lord's ways. And we cannot understand how it allows us to endure bewildering circumstances of life. And he says, as we've sung, when through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. Fear not, I'll be with you, your troubles to bless, and sanctify to you your deepest distress. It's doing, it is for your good. I am with you. The waters won't overflow you. But it is bewildering. It's a bewildering test, verses 1 and 2. And in response, Abraham shows exemplary faith, verses 3 to 10. Exemplary faith. Chapter 22, verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants, his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We'll come back. Uh, excuse me, we'll worship and then we'll come back to you. Now, I don't know about you, but 22 verse 3, the verse 3 there, uh, Abraham gets up and goes. And I think, why, not, why no questioning? Why no arguing? Uh, I mean, last time we saw in chapter 18 of Genesis, God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, well, can I just have a conversation with you about that? Before you do that, don't do that. Uh, and he sort of pleads and here. And you think, oh, well, Abraham, why would you plead for an utterly debauched city, which is wicked, and not plead for your son. He doesn't. How does Abraham feel? We are not told. The narrative here is concerned with obedience. Don't mishear me. The Bible is enormously concerned with how we feel. Uh, and uh, what I said, much of the book of Psalms is there in part to help us express how we feel and to inform how we feel and to shape how we feel. The Bible is deeply concerned with how we feel. Genesis 22 is not. It's concerned with obedience. No interview on the sofa with Abraham. How did you feel, Abraham? He doesn't give none of that. He just obeys. And there's obedience. That's a three-day journey. That's a pretty rough journey. I wonder if, uh, if it was portrayed in a film, it would be a fairly grainy, black and white scene. No dialogue, no music. You'd hear the creaking leather as a donkey's saddle. You'd hear the turning of the wheels of the cart. You'd hear or see the observe the gathering of the firewood. Verse 4, Abraham looks up, no word from God. He leaves the servants, and he gives Isaac the wood to carry. But verse 6, Abraham carries the weapons. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son. 
The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? What a question. So we're offering a sacrifice, Dad. Yeah, yeah. And uh, here's the, where's the offering? <laughs> what a question. It's the only dialogue we have between Abraham and Isaac. Abraham answered, God himself will offer, provide the lamb for the offering, my son. The two of them went on together. And then time slows right down in verses 9 and 10. You have a three days, then they get half a verse. Here, time slows right down. Seven verbs. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. It's meant to slow right down as we think. No. What conflict for Abraham? The son he loves, he's waited years for, he's raised. The son he loves and the God he loves. There's the promise of God through Isaac. All your descendants will come. Here's a command of God that seems to contradict it. Extraordinary. Let me highlight two things. Two things that the New Testament would say we should note of uh, uh, what Abraham does here. First is this. He trusted God's provision. That's how Abraham could do this. He trusted God's provision. And the the text reveals that. So verse 5, Abraham says to his servants, we will worship, then we will come back to you. We'll be back. He says, now it seems to indicate he's expecting two of them to come back down the mountain. We'll come back. Uh, And again, uh, verse 8, he does say to Isaac, oh, God will provide. So it does seem that Abraham really believes that. God will provide for him. He's not walking up the mountain thinking, how am I going to do this? He's not doing that. He's walking up the mountain thinking, God's going to (laughs) provide. Any creatures? Any creatures? Any lambs? Anything? 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 Uh, But he is thinking God's going to provide. That's how he walks up this mountain. And for you and for me, there's the key to an extraordinary trust in God. He will provide. You have to know that he will provide if you're going to obey him. You have to know that. If you doubt that, you'll disobey. If you trust that God will provide, you can obey. You have to know he'll give you what you need. We've got Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 um, puts it uh, this way. Golly, good luck if you can read that on uh, on top of that. Let me read it for you. Hebrews 11. By faith, verse 17. By faith, when God tested him, Abraham, oh, there we go. Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who'd received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned, thought, deduced, recognized, got it. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham, how could you do that? How could you walk up the, sun, up, up, up the mountain with your son and a knife and the fire and think, oh, because I knew that God would provide. 
I knew that. Even if Isaac died, I knew he could raise him from the dead. I, I knew that. That's how I could walk up the hill. You and me, in the complexities of life, we will not obey the Lord unless we trust he'll provide. In financial crisis, in relational crisis, in workplace crisis, you have to know the Lord will not tempt you beyond what you can bear. And he will always provide what you need. And so in this account, provision comes. The angel, verse 11, the angel, the angel cries out, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. And here's the provision, verse 13. Abraham looked up and there's the thick, there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. A ram caught by its horns, presumably so there's no blemish upon it, no scarring upon the skin at all, because it has to be, in the later Old Testament system, a flawless offering. And it's a ram, not a lamb. Abraham said, oh, God will provide a lamb, verse 8. No, it's a ram here. The lamb comes 2,000 years later. Because here again, it's just a little hint, a little picture of Jesus Christ who comes as the Lamb of God to die instead of you and me, a substitute that we need. There's Abraham, he trusts God's provision. And the second thing the New Testament would emphasize, both his trust, uh, but secondly, that his actions reveal faith. So James 2 puts it in these terms. We've got James 2, verse 20. James is writing, you foolish man or people, do you not want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? You can't claim to have faith unless there's some obedience. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Obedience shows you have faith. They are just two sides of the same coin. Biblically speaking, obedience is trust, faith. Obedience says, Lord, you know what is best. I have faith in you, not myself. Obedience is trust, it is faith. And when we don't obey, it's because we don't have quite enough faith. Something happened uh, to remind me this week. Uh, I remember meeting a little while ago um, uh, a bloke who designed, uh, some who will know, uh, a new generation body armor. And uh, I met him. It was here on a Sunday. And he was just about to have a week of ballistics testing with the MOD and uh, the Met Police. And they were going to you know, fire off gu guns at this new generation uh, body armor. It was fascinating to hear about. And I said to the guy who designed it, would you wear it and have someone shoot at you? Interesting. Uh, and he said, oh, this is just so much better than anything that exists now. 
This can take 12 rounds before it, um, it's no good. Most body armor, only th after three rounds, it's, it's no good, it's compromised. This can take 12 before uh, it's, it's uh, useless. Well, that's interesting. Would you wear it and have someone shoot at you? Well, it's pointless, me doing that. I mean, the ballistics testing they do is far more thorough and less random than just wearing it and being shot myself. Yeah, but would you wear it and have someone shoot at you? Well, there's no need for that. No need for that. Uh, and I, you know, it's a slightly unfair question, probably, for me to ask him. But of course, in one sense, in the end, there's faith. Do you really trust? Does your faith in your product issue in you trusting it, acting, living it out? Obedience is faith. Obedience is faith made visible, faith in action, faith revealed. And here Abraham shows the obedience of faith. There is a radical commitment. So I guess the question for you and me is this. For the commands of God that we're struggling to obey, what do we need to do? We need to trust that God will provide. And our faith in his provision will issue in us obeying him. Doesn't matter what it is, honesty in speech, purity in sex, generosity in finances, whatever it may be, trust his provision, you'll obey his commands. You see that here. It's a bewildering test. Abraham shows exemplary faith. Lastly, briefly, there's astonishing blessing as a consequence. Let's pick it up, verses 15 to 19. There's astonishing blessing. If you've been here, this all sounds quite familiar, but there's a little novelty here. Verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. Not much new here, apart from God underlines his promise with an oath. Verse 16, I swear by myself. And the emphasis again that when Abraham obeys, there's this waterfall of blessing for others. That's just how it works in the narrative here. When Abraham, he obeys, he blesses others, and he receives further promises to help him obey. When he disobeys... He's a burden to others. That's just how it works in his life. He obeys, he blesses others, he disobeys, he's a burden to others. And therefore, I think there's a sense in which, again, we say how much more the obedience of Jesus Christ, through his obedience and sacrifice, he brings blessing to billions and billions and billions throughout the world and throughout history. But let me try and say three things. Three things briefly uh, to perhaps take away uh, as uh, we go. Uh, the first is this. You have to know the anguish of the father. That is in part why this story is here, to know the anguish of the father. When you and I think to ourselves, in life, in our circumstances, in this week, I can't take any more. Abraham is a picture of God the father's anguish as he gave his only son. 
John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his son, he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves us. God loves his people. And he went through anguish to shower us with love. So when you say, Lord, why are you doing this? To see this picture, just a hint of God the Father's anguish in sacrificing his son, it helps. You know the anguish of the Father. Related to that, trust the testing of the Lord. We had read earlier, uh, Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his only son, but gave himself up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. God the Father has given his son for you. If he's given his son for you, you can trust him in the trials of life. You can. I read this in the week. I found it so striking. I've scribbled it on the sheet, the service sheets. J.C. Rao commenting. Are you a distressed believer? Is your heart pressed down with sickness, tried with disappointments, overburdened with cares? To you I say this day, behold the cross of Christ. Think whose hand it is that chastens you. Whose hand? Think whose hand is measuring to you the cup of bitterness which you're now drinking. It is the hand of him who was crucified. It is the same hand which, in love to your soul, was nailed to the accursed tree. Surely that thought should comfort and hearten you. Surely you can say to yourself, a crucified Savior will never lay upon me anything that is not for my good. There is a needs be. It must be well. It must be. God sacrificed his son for me. He's done that much. These trials that I face, they must be for my good in some way. You know the anguish of the Father. Trust the testing of the Son. Uh, and lastly, give thanks, for the obe- give thanks for the obedience of the Son. Our obedience is never perfect, but Jesus' was. And as I said at the beginning here, Christians have recognized throughout the centuries, in Isaac, you have a little echo. Like Isaac, Jesus was led to his own death. And didn't complain about it. Didn't open his mouth to protest. Like Isaac, Jesus carries his own wood on his back up the hill to his death. Like Isaac, Jesus lays down his own life and says, not my will, but yours, Father. But of course, unlike Isaac, Jesus wasn't saved by a ram. He was the lamb. He was the one who died. He was the substitute for us as he dies upon the cross. And so we can trust his obedience. And of course, a story like this makes us realize, was it easy for Jesus? No. Was it easy for Isaac, lying down with his father, holding a knife above him? No. Was it easy for Jesus? saying, not my will, but yours be done? No. But he did it. And he obeyed. And so where you and I fail, we give thanks for his obedience.
But know the anguish of the Father. Trust the testing of the Lord. Give thanks for the obedience of the Son. It is an extraordinary story. But we're given to understand a little bit more of God's love for us. His willingness to sacrifice for us. So that we trust him. And can obey him. Let me lead us in prayer together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we do pray that we would know that the one who has given up his son will not graciously give us all things that we need. That whatever trials assail us, distress us, overwhelm us, at this moment in time, the Christian can never fall outside of your love, and these are for our good. And we can trust you, for you are the Father who sacrificed his one and only Son for us to save us for eternity. Father, would we never underestimate what it cost? Would we never belittle the obedience of Jesus? But would we trust you and therefore obey you? In his name. Amen.